0: Chapter fifteen of Murder Takes the Veil by Margaret Anne Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter fifteen twisting her handkerchief into a rag, Glory Muckleroy sat on the edge of her chair in the visitors parlor and kept her gaze on three well draped marble maidens holding up a sort of bird bath in which grew tiny water plants. Glory was tired. The night had been an endless waking dream, in which he had lain staring at the doorknob in the fear that it would turn, then at the window in the hope that it soon would lighten with dawn. The girls had slept deeply, but such oblivion was not for glory. Lying there, going over the evening, every word and gesture of the churn man became loaded with meaning, and when she came to that conclusion she would slip away from it, only to return because of one inescapable fact. The man had been terrified when he left the kitchen, and since there was no other reason than it must have been because he had told that horrible story, and if it had no connection with the doings at St. Aurelian's, he need not have been afraid. She would tell the sheriff, she decided, the first moment she could see him in the morning. And now that she sat before him and knew he had called her in for information on that subject, the significance of it became appalling. All right now, Glory." he said, quietly. Neither of us had much sleep last night, so we'll take it easy. I'll talk to High, but I'd like your story first. Was Burns there when the two girls came into your kitchen last night? Oh, yes, sir. He'd been there maybe an hour by then. We'd had him to supper. The sheriff smiled and Glory relaxed. Mr Burns was real interested in the mushquash, she added. She could see the girl so plainly. Trillium, white and scared, Mary Elizabeth thrilled over the possibilities of the evening, the two of them putting the little animal into the cage. Manessa had loved the sparkling crown and wanted to touch it. Everything had been so nice, except, of course, for Miss Trillium. I didn't know it then, but I'd ought to have, because she was scared silly. Miss Trillium, I mean. You could see it plain as the nose on your face." She paused, then continued in an effort to be comforting. I guess it's been Miss Trillium that was the most scared all the time. Only nobody seemed to notice. This morning she's still dopey from that pill the doctor gave her. With every footstep that comes to the door, she starts up, listening. And she won't talk, Mr. Thatcher. Not a word. Jarvis took a turn across the room. Glory, himself, Mother Theodore, Sister Laurent— Heaven knew how many more had looked at Trillium and yet not seen her. He rubbed his eyes wearily. Now about that Burns fellow, Glory, what did he talk about after the girls left? You said it was just business up till then. Yes, and the kids playing with the dog, real cozy. At first when he started this rigmarole, I didn't take much stock in it, because I thought he'd made up a good half of it. But before he got through, Glory shivered. She went straight through the saga of murder as Theophilus Burns had told it, and when she ended, all the sheriff's weariness had vanished. With its initial mystery, the churn man in his scarlet shirt spun the terrible little tale, slipped over to the door, spoke sharply to Taffy, disappeared into the night. And the last thing he said, Glory finished, almost in a whisper, he said he didn't hold with murder, cause it's never done up clean, there's always tag ends. And then was when he got up sudden and left. Tag ends into the sheriff's mind there sprang the old fairy tale of the boy who had gone walking in the forest and come upon an old oak which contained the pot of gold. The boy had tied his yellow scarf around the tree and run for help in claiming his treasure, but when he returned, the leprechauns had tied a yellow scarf around every tree in the forest. It might well be that Theophilus Burns was a mock clue thus his only importance would be in furnishing Mr. Archer with an alibi. That the char man, however, had scuttled away into the night because he no longer felt safe at St. Aurelian's was certain, because a gentleman of such roving instincts would not readily give up free board and lodging. Was it the murderer he had seen somewhere on the campus, the smooth-talking killer who had left the witness behind him in the swamp? By the way, Glory, you don't know at what hour Burns actually did leave the grounds, do you? No, sir. The kids had the radio on. Couldn't hear yourself think. Well, we'll find him. He can't have gone far in that rickety old truck. I'll have a watch out for him clear to New Orleans. You go back to the girls, Glory. I want to talk to High. Then I'll Mr. Thatcher, Glory broke in. Listen, Mr. Thatcher. Somebody else has got to take over for me. I've got to get back to my kids. The sheriff looked at her sorrowfully. I know, you hate this surveillance job, and so do I, but I have to get to the bottom of the trouble here, Glory, and I can't do it unless people help me. There's nothing we can do for Helen, except to find out why she died, but I honestly believe that we can save Trillium's life. No, I'm not exaggerating. I give a year of my own to know what she's afraid of but she's too frightened to tell us, and so all we can do is to protect her as well as we can, and try to find out in some other way. I think she may talk to you, Glory, and you know how grateful you'd be to anyone who looked out for Addie Pearl." It was not fair, and Jarvis knew it, to appeal to Glory as a mother, but he had reached a point where he couldn't choose. Last night he had done a lot of thinking, and the result was something to make him wonder whether he ever would sleep again. I need time, he added, and I don't dare take it unless I can be moderately certain that Trillium is safe. Glory, her mouth trembling, stared at the sheriff. I guess you can count on me, sheriff. Poor little thing, with no mother. I'll be as good to her as I know how. The sheriff held out his hand to her. Thank you, Glory. But Trillium, lying in her bed with her eyes closed, listening to the soft rustle of papers as Sister Lawrence sat correcting freshman English and filling Glory's post, was even then trying to think of a way to circumvent her protectors. In the drowsy intervals of waking, all the separate details of her problem kept jumping up, like wild eyed creatures on a merry-go-round, disappearing in the dizzy circling only to pop around again. There was the coat, but that was not an immediate worry and with a coat she could pigeonhole her concern for her precious letter, the last she had received. Beside that thought a gargoyle leaped out. What had become of the letter which should have reached her several days ago? It hadn't come because Uncle Henry was out of town and hadn't been there to forward it. Yet in the three years she had been at St. Aurelian's, nothing ever had happened to delay the letter before. "'So he has it. I have to admit the possibility.' It's perfectly logical that he has it. Trillium went back to the initial fact that Jim had taken the letter, picked it up easily with his own from the mail table. There would be no return address other than Uncle Henry's, nothing to help him there. But so vindictive a person would not admit failure for long. He would try in some other way to find her mother, to strike at Trillium herself. And if I'm not in a position to warn my mother, she'll be in greater danger than ever, so I'll go to Uncle Henry. The thought flashed in beautiful lightning across the darkness of her dread, and Trillium relaxed. In Uncle Henry's house, with the servants, she would be comparatively safe, even though her uncle was not there. Eventually, possibly very soon, Jem would know she had gone, and he would follow her, and his departure would leave St. Aurelians in peace, and Mother Theodore would give up those long vigils and chapel and office— No trace of tragedy would remain then, except the remembrance of Helen and their prayers. I'll do it, she whispered, and sighed to cover the sound. She would sleep for a little while, then plan what to do. It would have to be tonight. Tonight. Down in the barnyard, the sheriff was questioning High Muckleroy. Not with any conspicuous gain, he realized. For High's story was much the same as Glory's corroboration nevertheless was good and there was no shadow of doubt that theophilus burns had left because he was scared high in the toll shed out behind the barn enjoyed holding forth to the sheriff who was seated on a nail-keg well now for myself being a family man i don't see this life of skittin around but to some seems like it's the flavor in the stew the burns say where he was bound for when he left here high no, Sheriff. Didn't even say he was leaving. Do you know what time he went off in the truck? Seems like I recollect hearin' a engine chugging around about, oh, long after Glory left. Long? How long? I don't know. I've been asleep a while, but it mightn't have been him. Lots of time a tourist gets turned around and lands up in our barnyard. Don't know this is a dead-end road. "'Glory thinks he went early, soon after he left the kitchen. "'Well, I ain't going to cross her.' "'The sheriff gave it up. "'I've had the highway patrol looking for him since midnight. "'If he'd taken one of the main roads, they should have found him long before this.' "'High-sighted down the strip of tin he was hammering. "'Should have, right enough. "'If twas me, I'd begin looking somewhere else about now. "'For instance?' For instance, on our own private little old road to Bayou Florette, He's a great one for Dodlin. Maybe he's camped along there. High, seeing the sheriff's interest, gave a final bang and put aside his hammer. That there road ain't much used no more. In the early days, the Bayou Fleuretters was mighty business, trampsin' and over here. But we don't use it now, only sometimes for a short cut over to the highway when we're going to New Iberia. Here, you step around the barn and I'll show you. The sheriff had got up, had gone to the tool shed door, and was looking hard at something outside. High went to his side. Old sister Teed, bundled as always now, sat on the apple box as Tom and Banty, slopping happily through their pan of sour milk. And beside her, sitting on his haunches with his beautiful head in her lap, was an enormous dog. The dog that Thor had sketched in the strange little picture about which he had been so secretive. Taffy! high exclaimed, where'd he come from? The old sister, hearing the voice, raised her head timidly. The sheriff squatted down beside her, patting the dog. Say now, you have a real friend here, sister. Burns' partner, isn't he? How did he turn up? Sister, a teen, afraid to trust her memory, smiled and shook her head. It seemed to her that the man had been invited to stay overnight, but she was so often wrong. "'He came to visit me,' she said. "'The feller wouldn't have left the dog behind,' I remarked. "'The sheriff's frown silenced him. "'He just came to you, did he, sister? "'No truck around or anything?' "'No, sir. I didn't hear one. "'I was sitting with Tom and Banty when he walked up to me. "'I think he must be hungry. "'Would it be all right to feed him?' "'Oh, certainly, sister,' Sister Teen set off happily for the convent kitchen. High bent on giving his conclusions before the sheriff, closed one eye, fixed the other on a far cloud, and burst into speech. The way I figure it, sheriff, there's family diddling going on. That Burns feller thinks the world and all of his dog, and still he turns him loose, and the dog wanders back, cause he took a shine to that old sister. Looks like he fixin' to stay too. Not bad, High said the sheriff. Now, if you'll show me that road, or better still, come with me, we may find out why Taffy came back. You betcha, sheriff. I'll open the pasture gate and you can drive right through. The road was little more than a cow trail, overgrown until only two dusty furrows remained, and in the dust, the fresh track of a car was plainly visible. Jarvis kept his own vehicle astride the ruts. A mile or so from the pasture gate, they rounded a bend, and came upon the brilliantly painted truck. The residents at Bayou Fleurette would not have been able to pass this morning, for the flamboyant jitney stood in the middle of the road. The sheriff's car rolled to a stop. Well, there she is, High said unnecessarily. Right, keep on the grass. The truck, gaudily flaunting, churned with burns, was empty. But a few paces on, in a clump of brown weeds the Churn Man lay on his back. All the bravado was gone out of him. The red shirt was stained now with an uneven shade, darker than its own dye. His eyes stared straight up into the sun, and in one loosely opened hand lay a curled leaf, dead as the Churn Man himself. Hey, I never thought. I was figuring on him campin'. The disconnected sentences sounded like a gobble even to High's own ears, He pulled off his cap and stood clutching it, trying not to look at what was left of last night's arrogant storyteller and yet able to look nowhere else. A fly walked down the churn man's cheek, and the sheriff pulled out a clean handkerchief and laid it quickly over the face. Kneeling there, he touched the hand that held the leaf. As he had expected, it was very cold. "'So I'm too late again,' the sheriff admitted mournfully to himself." Nothing to do now but go back to Marysville, send more telegrams, try to fit the tag ends together. For it was quite apparent now that Theophilus Burns was a tag end. Whether or not he had gone to the guest house asking for Tolwaldsen and remaining to alibi Archer, he got up, brushed the grass from his trousers, and walked around ahead of the truck. In the dusty ruts, there was no trace of tire marks. If the assailant had been in a car, he had come up behind the charmed man not met him on the road. And if he had come up behind him, it meant he had started out from the convent grounds. The sheriff walked slowly back until he passed the quiet truck. Now there were tire marks in profusion, made by a nude diamond-shaped tread. The churn man's truck was not equipped with new tires. Hi, where did you leave your pickup truck last night? The pickup? Why, aside the tool shed, like always when it ain't rainin', When it rains, I run it into the barn. It's beside the tool shed now. Sure. You've seen it yourself, Sheriff. You bought some new tires for it last summer, didn't you, Diamond Tread? High swallowed hard at a trembling mass that rose in his throat. So that was why Thatcher had been examining the road. Sure, I bought him. But I, Lordy, I didn't come out here. The fellow winked at glory. But I didn't. The Sheriff grinned. Okay, High. I didn't think you'd resort to firearms, but somebody did, and it's ten to one he followed burns out here in your truck. Could you tell if it had been moved in the night? Well, come to think of it, Monroe drove it in last night. Maybe he could tell, maybe he couldn't. There's a kind of track all beat down from driving over it so much. But I don't know. If he'd left it about where Mun did, I guess you wouldn't know. How about the gas gauge? ain't got none. Well, you'll have to stay here, High, while I phone for my men. Don't mind, do you? High did mind. The sheriff left him, a reluctant little human creature guarding another, who needed no protection against ordinary disturbances. Turning his car carefully, Jarvis drove back to the convent. Passing through the barnyard, the sheriff hailed Munn, who was trundling a wheelbarrow of dirt toward the garden. Together they approached the truck, which now stood in early morning shade beside the tool shed. Now, this is important, Mun,' the sheriff said. Take a good look, go all around it before you answer. Is that truck exactly as you left it last night? Monroe took off his cap, pushed back his cowlick, jammed the cap over his eyes, shoved his hands into his hip pockets, and with a scowl that emphasized his deep absorption, sauntered around the truck. The verdict, Jarvis saw, will be weighed carefully. When at last Monroe was satisfied, he came back to stand, feet wide apart, beside the sheriff. He spat first. I tell you, sheriff, I couldn't rightly say she's been moved from where I put her. I was pretty busy at the time, and I ran her up there. Suddenly Monroe's exaggerated seriousness dropped from him. He leaped to the running board and jerked the gear shift lever. Jarvis bit back an exclamation. The kid would be spoiling possible fingerprints. Only there would be none. This fellow was too clever to leave his trademark behind him. Hey, sheriff, she's in gear. Looky, I don't never leave her that way. The sheriff jumped up beside him, felt the same rush of excitement that shivered through Monroe. You're sure, Mun? You didn't accidentally leave it in gear? Certain, sure. That's one thing Pa's real particular about. He says some day I'll leave her in second, and if she won't start and I'd have to crank her, she'll jump me and maybe kill me. No, sir, I'd swear any way you like, I didn't leave her that way. Good, you've helped me, Mon. The sheriff nodded toward the road he had just traveled. See, somebody drove this truck up the bayou and shot theophilus burns. And the sound I had heard, Jarvis knew now, was the killer returning the truck to its parking place. You and Pop found him? Yeah, just now. Willikers. Munn's fascinated gaze went to the truck, then back to Mr. Thatcher's solemn face. Listen, Sheriff, I bet you I know something about the guy that drove it. You do? You mean when he left here? No, nothing like that. But I was reading in the Mechanics magazine, when you drive in hill country, you learn to leave your car in gear when you park on a hill. If you park facin' downhill, you put it in reverse, leave her in second, if you're going uphill. Kind of an extra break. So, Munro ended proudly, this jigger must a learned to drive in hills, because we ain't got none around here. He just left the truck this way out of habit. The sheriff gave a low whistle. This was the perfect explanation of one very small wisp. Yet how did it help to know that the killer had learned to drive in hill country, Archer had been everywhere. Franz was a rover. In his beloved Normandy and Brittany, Tor would have found numerous hills. Well, say, when you're old enough, I'll know where to find a mighty smart deputy, Jarvis said confidentially. I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mention this to anybody, Mun, I couldn't say how important it may be, except that everything's important right now. Munro scowled, endeavoring to maintain a manly indifference. He did, until the sheriff left, then he sat down on the running ward of the truck, and shook like an aspen in an autumn breeze. End of chapter 15